You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. So uh, we're going to start this morning. We're going to be continuing on in our series that Adam started for us last week. We are talking about finding our identity in Christ. So you will be hearing my voice this week. You'll be hearing James next week, Mike the week after that, Jason after the week after that. So you get a nice array of voices coming on this different topic. And I'm very excited. And uh, I do want to say that the, this church has been so encouraging. I've had so many people come up to me over the course of the morning and encourage me, tell me they've been praying for me this week. And so I can't tell you how much that means to me. Uh, this is something that I very much love to do. I'm, I'm very glad to have the opportunity. And so I am, uh, I'm thrilled to be up here with you this morning. So we're going to go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be starting out. So if you want to go ahead and turn, we're going to be looking over a little bit of what we covered last week, and we'll be jumping in to our message for today. So uh, without going too much farther, we'll start with verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. It says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. If you remember last week, Adam kind of started off and he focused a lot on this verse, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Understanding that God shows his love towards us and the fact that he has chosen to have children, right? That we can understand that our identity is not found in the things that we like to see around the world, that our identity is found in the fact that we are children of God. We are beloved by him, owned by him, living for his purpose, right? And so because of that, we don't have the need to be able to find our our identity, our foundation of who we are in, in worldly things. I think a lot of times um, when we first meet people, it's very easy to identify ourselves by you know, simpler things, right? It's easy to identify ourselves as our job title, as our hobbies, or as our family. Uh, probably if, you, if you've never met me, if, if, if we've never had to, got to have this conversation, you probably can already tell that I'm not from here. Uh, you can probably hear it a little bit in my voice, right? Um, I am from Birmingham, Alabama, the Birmingham, Alabama area. I'm actually from a very small town just a little bit outside of Birmingham. It's called Calera, Alabama. And when I was young, this town was kind of a size range. It wasn't so small that you knew absolutely everybody, but everybody could be summed up in the phrase, oh, it's so-and-so's relative. You understand what I mean? Like, like if, if you were ever confused about who somebody was talking about, well, that's John's cousin or, or that's, that's Jake's brother-in-law or somebody like that. You could always, uh, you could always figure out every, about who everybody was just by figuring out one person removed, right? Um, so as I was growing up, every time that I would meet an adult, my family has been in this town for more than 100 years. My aunts and uncles have all stayed around and lived there. A lot of people just kind of knew my family. And so when I'd tell an adult my name when I was growing up, they would hear Stephen Ellison, and they would know that my father is Stephen Ellison Sr., and so I would affectionately always get the title, oh, you're Stevie's boy. That's, I, I cannot tell you how many times I was identified as Stevie's boy growing up, right? And it was, it was kind of strange. Um, it was kind of strange for somebody that you've never met before who really knows absolutely nothing about your, your personality, your likes, dislikes, uh, what you're good at, what you're bad at, anything, anything like that, who knows really nothing about you to have some way to identify you. They know something about you without even knowing you because they know something by your title, something by your name, something by your identification. And as a kid, there was always kind of a, a sense of pride in that, right? It was, it was always something kind of cool to be, to be recognized by your name, to be recognized by the name of, of your father, be recognized by the name of, of your grandparents, aunts and uncles, and of your family through that. And it wasn't really about me. And that's something that's kind of special. That's not something that we have a lot of times when we identify ourselves. It was about something other than that. It was, something, it was about something about those that came 
before me what somebody else did. Somebody else built that name. Somebody else built that legacy. And so when we're talking about our identification in Christ, we're talking about something similar, but something like that times 100. We're talking about the foundation that Christ has laid and who our identity is. That what Christ has done defines who we are. So what we're going to be talking about today, what we're going to be focused on, especially in the section that we just read, is the second part of verse 4 that says we are to be holy and blameless in love before him, before God. That's a spectacular thing to think about. This passage tells us that before God, we are holy and blameless. Our, identify, our identification before the all-perfect, all-knowing, all-loving God is that of blameless and holy. And that's incredible. That's a, that's a very comforting thing to know. It's a very comforting thing to feel, to, to know that, that, that you know, the creator of the universe views you. If you are in Christ, the creator of the universe views you that way. But it's also kind of strange. It, it's kind of off-putting because in reality, I think most of us know that none of us are perfect people. That we've all fallen short, right? That all, none of us are really blameless. There are very few, there are no actual truly holy people in and of themselves. So as we're looking at our identification in Christ and how we can be truly blameless and holy in love and his love before him, the question is, is, is how? How can we be truly holy and blameless? Well, Paul answers this question in a verse, in a section in Romans. And in Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be spending most of our time today. So if you wanted to go ahead and turn there. Uh, Paul is going to describe to us what our identity in Christ looks like. And before he talks to us exactly about how this identity gets placed upon us, he gives us a little bit of our identity's history. He talks about where our family name, where our lineage came from. And if you've ever done like Ancestry.com or any of those kind of things, you can trace your family lineage back to a certain extent. They can tell you where they think you come from. Paul's going to do us one better. Paul's going to take us all the way back to where our spiritual identity is found, where the foundation of it is laid, and that's all the way back to the very beginning of creation with the first man and woman uh, in Adam and Eve. So, in verse 12, he starts us off by saying, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people, because all have sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the one to come. And we'll stop right there. So at the very beginning of this passage, Paul tells us that, that we can trace our spiritual identity all the, way, all the way back to Adam. And I would assume most people in the room have heard the story of Adam and Eve, but if we haven't, we'll, we'll kind of go through just a quick summary of it, right? That, that Adam and Eve are the first two people that God's created. He placed them on the earth to be in a relationship with him, to rule over the creation that he's put in charge, to be underneath him. And as a part of this, he placed them in a garden where every bit of their provisions were met. Everything that they needed was before them. And God gave them one rule. Don't eat from this tree. Your provision can come from anywhere else in the garden, but not from this tree. And without even probably knowing, if you didn't know the story, you could probably guess what happens next. Just knowing people, right? That, that's exactly what they did. They ate from the tree and they failed in what God had set before them and, and the purpose that God had created them for, to, to rule underneath his rule, to reign underneath his reign. And in that failure, what happened next was probably more than they could have ever imagined. Through this simple act of disobedience, rebellion has entered the world, right? Sin has entered the world. And it entered with such a force that, that, that it stained everything. Paul tells us that through this one man's sin, through Adam's sin, that death entered the world. And that in this way, death spread to all people because all have sinned. From the moment that Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And with sin came death. That's the result of sin. 
And when death entered the world and when sin entered the world, they so totally polluted everything that there is no corner of this earth that's not affected by sin and death. Pollution covers this earth because of what Adam has done. And we can see this because it's passed down from generation to generation. It so polluted Adam and Eve that it was passed to their children, and it was polluted their children, so it was passed to their children from generation to generation to generation. And we can see this through the story of Scripture, right? Eventually, we can see this in the law. We get to Exodus, and when God gives his people the law, basically these stipulations of what it means to be God's people, what it means to be in relationship with him. And from the very beginning, we see that they're unable to keep it. They constantly fall short. God has given them the guidelines of what it means to be in relationship with him, and they cannot do it. They are unable to fulfill this law. The Old Testament is really just a history of people failing to keep God's law, failing to keep God's standards. So that we see that that there is a certain extent that, that... There's a very seriousness to failing in God's specific law, but Paul makes the point that even where this law didn't exist, even before the time of Moses, we see that sin is everywhere. We see that death is everywhere because death death is inevitable for everybody, right? It's a universal truth that we will all die unless unless Christ comes back before them, right? That, That this is something that affects the entire world. So by this, Paul makes our claim that our very first identification, our very first spiritual identity, is that of sinner. From the time that we entered this world, we entered it with a, with a sinful nature to the point that we are not identified as righteous. We are the exact opposite. We are impure, unholy. We are, we are an affront to God. Our God is perfect. He cannot be with sin. That's the separation that's caused between uh, when, when sin entered this world through Adam, that there was a separation between our relationship with God it's not going to be repaired through us. This is when, when, when Paul says at the end of the section that, that he is a type, that Adam is a type of the one that is coming, he's saying that, that there's, very, there's something very similar to the way that by Adam's one action of sin, sin has entered the world and it's affected all people. There's a great similarity to the way that, that God has fixed this problem, he's redeemed this problem by sending Christ, by his one action on the cross. These things can be erased. So we'll see that in this next section. Picking back up in verse 15. But it says, This gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have by the grace of God and the gift which comes to the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. The gift is not like one man's sin, because from one sin came judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Since by one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the, righteous, and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Uh, so Paul can be extremely wordy. And, and there's a lot of times where we can be reading these passages, and it's extremely confusing. Um, but Paul basically makes three pretty, uh, pretty simple comparisons. Comparisons to what? Adam did and the effects that it had in the world. Comparisons to what Christ has done and how it affects everything else. You see, God hasn't just let this sin separate us forever and, and leave us to it. God is just, right? Our sin deserves judgment. A good God cannot leave sin unpunished. A good judge would never look at evil and let it go undone. So our sin has to be punished. And so our God shows his love for us in the fact that while he would have been totally just in not letting us have a way out, He provides a way in Christ. And the first way he does this, Paul says in the first verse that we covered, that by Adam's sin, we were separated from God. But when Jesus came, he made a way so that we would no longer be separated, but that we could have a way to have that relationship restored. 
In the next verse, um, Paul says that by Adam's sin, we will be judged and punished for our sins because that's what's right. But he says that by what Jesus has done on the cross, we've been justified. We can be forgiven. And in this last verse, he says that while Adam sinned and that death entered the world and now sin controls the world, Jesus came not only just so that, that, that we could have life, but that we could be set free from sin's hold. That through his forgiveness, that we are no longer slaves to the sin, no longer held down by it. So its death and its effects are not over us like they were. Death is still inevitable in this world. Sin has still, still touched this world in a way that, that, that's not going to be perfected until Christ comes back. But what we see is between these comparisons, the two aren't really equal. Paul's not saying that, that, that what Adam has done and what Adam and Eve have done by bringing sin to the world is equal to what Jesus has done by, by offering forgiveness. No, 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 no. His grace is, is far, far superior. It's not that they just cancel out. It's that one overcomes the other. It's that God's grace has overcome our sinful nature. From the very beginning, we're identified as sinner. And it's not that when Christ comes along by his actions that we are just wiped clean back to some middle state. No, it's, it's overcome. We are renamed. We are taken back over by his name, by his word, by what Christ has done. My point that I'm making here is, is, is that your identity is not based in, in what you've done. It's based in what Christ has done. What we've earned by our sinful nature is, is, is wrath, is judgment. It's what we deserve. But what God has given us is something far greater. What, what he has done through Christ doesn't just equal that. It overcomes that. And we're really going to see that. We're really going to see that in these, uh, these next two verses, starting in verse 18. It says, So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience the many were made righteous. So here's where the switch happens. Here's where your identity goes from being that of sinner to being that of righteous and holy and blameless in Christ. While, um, while Adam passed down his sinful nature, Adam and Eve passed down their sinful nature to us, and it meant that we were all sinners. But when Jesus Christ came, he lived a perfect life. So that when he died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his punishment. He was dying for ours. Right? So he didn't deserve this punishment, so he died on the cross for ours. When Jesus is on the cross, he is trading us something. He's taking the sin that we committed, and he's taking the punishment for him himself. But it doesn't stop there. Because in this trade, when Jesus takes the sin that we earned, he, makes, he gives us something back. Jesus gives us what he's earned through his perfect life. What he earned through his perfect life is holiness. It's the title righteous. Jesus Christ earned the ability to stand before God and be declared blameless, perfect, and holy. And when he takes his sins, when he takes our sins upon himself on the cross, he gives us something back to. He gives us that title. In the same way that you were born into this world with a last name that you did not earn, it was given to you from the moment that you entered. When you are reborn in Jesus Christ, you were given a last name that you did not earn. You were given a title. You were given a family name that you did not earn. It's based on the legacy of one that came before you. It's based on the actions of Christ. Understanding that, that, that this isn't a, like our own, that's, 
That's important. Your holiness is inherited. It's handed down. It's not earned. No one in here is a self-made holy man or woman. That's what the gospel is, is that we couldn't do this on our own. That we failed on our own. The law shows us this. That we've fallen short of God's perfect standard. But by His holiness, by His perfect life, by His love, we're renamed, we're redeemed, we're re-identified. You guys, this is... It's about the most perfect way your identity can be stolen. Am I, am I right? I mean, it's, 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 it's a spectacular switch. It's something to be joyous about. It's something to be excited about. Paul closes out the section with these last two verses when he says, The law came along to multiply trespasses, but where sin is multiplied, grace is multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in the eternal life through Jesus Christ. You guys, not only have, have we had a name switch, not only in just title, not only has changed, the results of where we end after this world is over has changed. The, the implications of everything that's going to happen to us has changed. We're no longer sinners deserving of sin, deserving of wrath. We are now seen as Christ, seen by God in his righteousness. And so that on that last day, when judgment comes, when God looks on us, he doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees a holy and blameless son of his. That's how we receive eternal life. That's how we're gained out of this. We have been given eternal life and holiness through Christ. Because here's the thing, and I can't stress this enough. Sin and death, the power of those two things, are incredible. Far more than we can overcome. Far more than we can withstand. And as powerful and as, as, as strong as the hold and sin of death is, the strength of grace is more. That's what it says right here. It says, though the law came to multiply sins and trans, uh, multiply the transgress, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And this is only possible by the switch that made through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So if we're looking for an application for this, there's one other section I'd like us to turn to before we end this for today. It's in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, what Paul is going to do is he's going to sum up something for us that we've already talked about. So we're going to be starting in verse 21, and we're just going to be looking at three verses. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. Paul reminds us at the very beginning that we are defined again as sinner, that, that from deep in our soul to the way that we act, there are sinful things that we cannot overcome. That's, that's, that's the, just the hard truth of who we are deep down without God. But verse 22, he says, But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you, as here it is again, to be holy, faultless, and blameless in him. He sums it up in one verse. How are we made holy, holy, faultless, and blameless in him? Through his death. We are reminded again that, that we are only identified as holy and blameless if we are identified as being with Jesus Christ. The two things have to be together. There is no other way. To be identified as holy and blameless is to be identified with Jesus Christ. And Paul takes it a step further. He says all of this is true in verse 23. If, if you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, and you are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, this gospel has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, 
And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Paul says that all of this is true if we remain grounded in this gospel, if we remain faithful to this. Paul is not saying that we can somehow lose our, our salvation. Paul is reminding us that as true Christians, as believers in Christ, we must be constantly reminded that there is nothing that we can do on our own to earn this grace, to earn this salvation. I think it's kind of easy to realize that we need Christ when we first become Christians. When we're first converted, we know that we're desperate. We need a Savior. We need somebody to, to fix this, this, this problem that we have. But I think as we mature in Christ, sometimes it's easier to lose sight of that. When you're first saved, you, re, you, you realize that, that I'm only saved by Jesus. But as, 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 as we mature, as, as we step up in faith, as, as we start to serve, we start to define our holiness, our righteousness by the things that we're doing for God. We start to define our righteousness by our good reputation, our acts of kindness, our love towards others. And all of these are things that God desires, commands that we do. But church, remember, you are not righteous because you are a deacon. You are not righteous because you teach Sunday school. You are not righteous because you give your tithe every week. You are not righteous because you are a church member. You are righteous because you are in Christ. And once you are in Christ, that righteousness is expressed in those ways. The foundation of our identity, of who we are, of our righteousness, is only in Jesus. The application here is as you go about your day-to-day lives, as, as, as you walk out of here, the righteous deeds that you do, the actions that you have, the, the, the things that, that, that you want to express, you know, the goodness of God, and it's, it's, that's what it is. It's grounded in Him. It's grounded in his ability to give you the power to do those things. We couldn't do those things on our own. We don't have the will. We don't have the power. We don't have the nature for that. All we have is what God has given us. And that includes the ability to do good deeds, the ability to do works that magnify his name. You guys, as, as, as we come to a close, as we start to kind of think about this, um, remember how insufficient we are. That's hard. Remember that the only way, the only way that we have that relationship with God, the only way that, the only way that we can stand before our Father's throne on Judgment Day and Him to see us as holy and blameless is for us to look out and see instead of us to see His Son. To see that we have placed a substitute before the judgment throne. Because we've trusted in Christ. Guys, we're, we're about to go into a time of reflection. As, as, as the music kind of plays, um, I encourage you to take this time and to pray, to be honest before God. To, um, to remember just exactly where we stand. As we pray, just remember that, that anything that we have, any righteousness, any, any ability to do acts is simply the grace of God that surpasses any other identification we could have. You are holy and blameless because you are in Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray as we, as we move into this, this last song that, that we, um, we respond by giving you praise for all that you've given us. Father, be with us during this time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.